Well, good morning, church family. Happy Father's Day to you dads. Uh, we are so thankful for you. We prayed for you earlier today, and uh, we will continue to. But we are uh, a church that loves men, that encourages dads uh, to follow Jesus in every area of life. And so we are thankful for you. My name is Brandon, and I have the joy, and I really mean that, the joy to serve uh, this local church as one of its pastors. And uh, if you have a Bible this morning, would you open that up with us to Ephesians chapter Five. Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, open that up. If you need a Bible, we've got some out in this welcome center over here sitting on a rack. Please, at any point during our time together, uh, stand up, go grab one. Uh, the words will also be here on the screen with us. Well, two weeks ago, we started a series called Everyday Worship. You just saw the trailer for it. You see it up here on the screen, but Everyday Worship. And two weeks ago, we walked through Psalm 113 and asked the question of what worship is and why does it matter? And then each week, uh, six, seven weeks or so, what we'll do is we'll sort of uh, double click or zoom in, depending on your generational preference, uh, on the specific areas of life that God calls us to worship him in and how we turn ordinary rhythms into everyday worship. And I'm not claiming this morning as we look at, 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 at the, this idea of marriage, I'm not claiming that all of us have the same circumstances and situa situations represented in the room this morning. And so I just want to say that out at the outset, that I know that there are an infinite number of scenarios that are represented in this room. And listen, I am praying that God would take the truths of his word this morning, the authoritative truths of his word and by the power of his spirit apply them to our lives. His spirit is good at that. He is very, very good at that. And so as we continue worshiping this morning, let's worship the Lord through our listening, through listening to the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, great is your faithfulness. 
great is your faithfulness. Lord, we get to gather together again this morning and to sing of your mercies that are new and that are fresh again this morning. For that, Lord, we are so thankful. Lord, we get to worship you through opening up your word. And so, God, as we do, Lord, help our hearts to be attentive to what you would say to us this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in this room doing what you do best, which is driving and pointing us toward the Son, Jesus. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when we understand how the gospel works in one area of our life, it it really begins to touch everything else. And so I understand that some of you are here this morning and you're single or maybe you're a young person or maybe you've been divorced or maybe you're a widow this morning and you you think, all right, we've already got just a few minutes into this. This sermon has has nothing to do with me. And so I'm going to sort of tune out. Look at me this morning. Would you listen to, to me here? God has a reason for you being here. The Lord has a reason for you being here. You have no idea where your life is going. And what's great about the gospel is that in, in all of these specific applications to the gospel, there's bleed overs to other areas of life. There's not a gospel for the single and a gospel for the married and a gospel for the young and a gospel for the old. There's one gospel. And listen, when we begin to, to, when we learn the will of God in one area of our life, we begin to learn applications that bleed over to other areas of our life. And so God calls some of us to be single. He'll call some of you in this room to be single. And that's not because he cares less. To be single and full of God's love is it's glorious. Jesus, our Savior, was single. Paul, the, the writer of what we just read, was single. Jesus never got married. He was never intimate with another woman. And yet Jesus was the most complete human being who ever lived. He was free, completely free to give himself to serve others. And he calls us, married or single, to live fully for him. And so if you walked into this room here this morning and you feel lonely, let me just say to you, we are so glad that you're here. We are so glad that you're here. Our faith family, our church is actually enriched by you being here. Before we get down the road of, of, of what this text says, we have to ask right at the outset this question. What is marriage? What is the essence of marriage? If you look toward the end of the text that we just read in verse 31, the text said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so what Paul, the author of Ephesians, is doing here, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, 24. Feel free to write that down in your notes and look back at it today. But this, this, this is how the Bible defines marriage. Genesis 2, 24. This is Moses who is writing this. And we know that this has gotten so messed up in our culture today. It's so controversial, really in every culture. But the Bible defines marriage in Genesis 2.24 as one flesh. One flesh. That is one life totally shared. No barriers. 
no boundaries, a complete giving over of ourselves. And so in other words, if this is a, a circle right here, then on their wedding day, a man and a woman step inside that one flesh circle. No one else, no friends, not even the kids share what's in that circle. They don't share in the intimacy. This man and woman share in intimacy what they share with, with no one else. One man, one woman, the total sharing of their lives at a level deeper than any other relationship. I think all of us would say amen to this, that two selfish me's step into this one united circle of we for the rest of their life. Well, fast forward a little bit to the New Testament in Matthew 19, and Jesus actually quotes Genesis 2 again, and he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so Jesus said of marriage that it is God himself who joins them together. He says this, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In other words, Jesus says that marriage is, is sacred. Marriage is not the design of human idea. It's not, some, it's not social evolution. We didn't create it. God did. When I'm doing premarital counseling, I'll often tell the, the couple that I'm counseling, listen, on your wedding day, which we're preparing for, there are three, the three most important people who are going to be in the room are this, the bride, the groom, and God. Well, Pastor, aren't you going to be there? Yes, I'm going to be there, but I'm a witness just like everybody else because God on that day will be, will be there joining you in a bond that you will share with no one else. The words of Jesus, Matthew 19, and then fast forward a little bit further to our text today, Ephesians 5, and Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 again, verse 31, we just read it. And so we see here from, from cover to cover, God gives one definition of marriage. But this time in, verse, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, we see something even more amazing. We'll look at that in just a minute, but on our way here, the Bible coaches us in what real marriage looks like. And so if real marriage is one man, one woman, and an exclusive one flesh union, then what does that actually look like? It's the question we're asking this morning. Paul says that there's, there's a whole new way to live. And he says this, that wives are to imitate God in one way and husbands imitate God in another. And so what does that look like for a wife? What does that look like for a husband? What does that look like for all of us. You can see in this passage that there's a heavenly marriage between Christ and the church, and then there are earthly marriages between husband and wife. There's the marriage, Christ and the church, and then there are our marriages. And listen to me this morning. The more our marriages look like the marriage, the happier we are, and the more we worship Jesus rightly. In other words, the heavenly marriage is the reality and we are the metaphors. Listen, Paul didn't go about it this way. You know, you know there's, there's these, these Ephesians, and they're, they're first-generation Christians, and so their parents didn't, didn't walk with the Lord or their grandparents. So I, I want to help them think about marriage. Let me think of a good illustration. Oh, I got it. Christ in the church. That's not how it happened. 
Listen, God the Father, from before eternity began, purposing in great love to gather a bride, his church, for his son Jesus. And he, he would go to the wrong side of town to get us to the praise of his glorious grace. That's what Paul is thinking here. Before the world was created, and he's thinking, I need an illustration, human marriage. God created human marriage so that his people would have a category for understanding the relationship between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5 marriage is one that displays the glory of Christ. Our marriages are, in a sense, fingers pointing to the glory of Christ and the church. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that, that marriage is, it's like a, human marriage is like a ray pointing to the sun. And so the question we're going to ask today is, what does worship look like as a wife? And what does worship look like as a husband? And how does that apply to all of us? So if you're a note taker, number one for us this morning is this. A wife worships the Lord through her glad submission. A wife worships the Lord through her glad submission. I did make sure this morning that this pulpit is bulletproof. I know the word submission has gotten all kinds of twisted and out of context this morning, but let's look at God's word and see what exactly that means. Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Submission never was a human idea. Submission began in the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, the Son joyfully submitting to the Father, the Spirit submitting to the Son. And our culture, our world, every culture has so messed this design up. But here's the reality this morning that that I want you to see from Ephesians 5. Paul goes to great lengths in Ephesians 5 to say that we as the church are to submit to Christ. And then he unpacks what that looks like. And the truth is, is that no one saying, I follow Jesus, should have any problem with submission. But we do, if we're honest. And so three questions I want to ask in this section is, number one, what does it mean to submit What does it mean to submit? Does this mean a wife cannot disagree with her husband but should just shut up and listen? No. No. No, this is not a set of rules here. No, this is a mentality. It's a heart ready to receive and affirm the Christ-like leadership of a husband. But we know that no no husband is 100% Christ-like. So what are we to do? Here's what submission might look like when a husband brings a a crazy idea to his wife. Husband, sweetheart, I think we should sell our house, leave everything we know, move 600 miles away to a city where we know no one, plant a church with no guarantees of a job and no guarantees of succeeding. April, my wife. Hmm. Fascinating. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, Could we talk about that? Could we pray about that? 
tonight. And then a gospel wife gently communicates her ideas and her feelings about this crazy idea. And as she does that, she, she proposes some alternatives. And then she says, babe, I'm not sold on this. But I do, I do want to talk about this more. And I want you to know that if this thing goes sideways, I'm not going to hold it over your head. And we'll stand together in the end because we are one. You see, a gospel wife is so secure and comfortable with who she is in Christ. And she understands how profound it is to be in a one flesh union uniquely with him and knowing that God has given her a husband. You see, a gospel wife understands her husband didn't marry her because he wanted a competitor, but a lover. And single ladies, I would say to you this morning, if you cannot trust a man at that level, what are you doing with him? Don't marry him. Second question we want to ask from this text is, why does Paul add in verse 22 as to the Lord? Is Paul saying that a husband can play God? No. No, he is saying that a wife's submission is in the end not to her husband, but to God himself. Her gracious character to receive and affirm her husband is an act of worship to God. And he receives it and he treasures it. 1 Peter 3, 4 says that a wife's quiet and gentle spirit is very precious in God's sights. Listen, wives, look at me this morning. Wives, even when your husband doesn't see your consistent looking for the win-win in your marriage, know this, that the Lord sees it. That the Lord sees you and he loves you and he values you. Third question, what about these words in verse 24, in everything? Can a man ask his wife to sin? No. No, it means that there is no area of her life that she doesn't share with him. You see, to be one flesh is, it's all-encompassing. Healthy friendships have boundaries, right? But marriage is a one flesh union. Even the deepest friendships stop short of full surrender in everything. The two have become one flesh. A wife's submission to her husband as to the Lord in everything is a beautiful act of worship. And it's a beautiful act and display of the gospel. People will see Christ in this kind of marriage. The glory of God is displayed and others might even come to know Christ through that marriage. What a testimony. What a way to be a missionary. People who will never darken the door of a church building seeing the gospel lived out in that kind of marriage. And wives, I want you to understand the high calling of submission and to remember this, that this is a calling in which Jesus, your Savior, well understands. Luke 2, he submitted to his parents. Mark 14, Jesus said to his heavenly father, not what I will, but what you will. We know this this morning. We're all sinful people. Sinful men, sinful women struggling to be good at this. And so let's as a church just commit to learning this over again, to learning this together. There's one thing that every wife must understand about her husband. 
If you remember with me this morning, back in the garden of Eden, God made Adam and he gave him a job to do. But in every man, there's a deep question and it's this, am I man enough? Will I measure up? Will I fail? And a gospel wife realizes this in her husband and she makes it her responsibility from the day of their wedding to to strengthen her man, communicating with him, I believe in you. The Lord is with you. You can do this. Let's do this together. You see that word in verse 33, the word respect. The gospel man will accomplish more by the power of a gospel wife's respect than he ever could alone. Respect empowers. It encourages a man. Not not putting down, not calling out, but respecting him. Wives, worship the Lord through your glad submission. Number two, husband. A husband worships the Lord through his sacrificial love. A husband worships the Lord through his sacrificial love. Look back at the text, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Men, husbands, this is your calling. To love your wife as Christ loves the church is about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice, selfish men giving their selfishness to Christ day after day after day and taking steps toward sacrifice. A gospel man takes responsibility. He takes responsibility for his wife, for his children, for his church, for his community. He doesn't cut corners. He understands that life isn't easy. He is a warrior, a provider, a defender for his life, for his wife like Christ is. Real headship is also a mentality. It's a mentality of cheerful responsibility to lead, to provide, to care for. And when we men give ourselves to Jesus, we honor Christ in this. And what I love about this is any personality profile can step into this. Any personality profile, any background, this is for all men. What's the primary responsibility for the husbands? Well, it comes down to one word. We see it several times in our text, but husbands are called to do this four different times, and the word is love. Verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do we do that? Look at verse 29. He he nourishes He cherishes. That is love. Love that nourishes and cherishes takes us husbands way beyond bringing home a paycheck. It's not less than that, but way beyond it. To nourish means to not not just provide for, but to develop, to nurture, to care. To cherish is, is to warm. It's to go deeper emotionally, men. To soften. It's where we get our word heartwarming from. You see here that when a wife is cherished, 
It means she feels loved and valued by her husband. Above all else, second only to Christ. To cherish means a husband doesn't compare his wife with others or find fault with her, but instead takes joy in her. And if you're going this morning, well, Brandon, but my, my wife is not, not really the kind of woman that, that I can truly delight in. Listen to me. If your wife isn't pushed to be the person that God created her to be by your living with her year after year, maybe it's not all her fault. A gospel husband, like Christ, takes responsibility to be sure that his wife's story is going somewhere positive. Being married to this kind of man is the opposite of a dead-end road. And if you notice here... (laughs) I love this. Christ's love for the church was not motivated by the church's loveliness, but rather his motive was to make us, the church, lovely. And so, too, the the ground of our love for our wives must ultimately be found in God, ultimately found in his love for us, and not some attribute we husbands require of our wives in order to love them. When we love them like this, we love ourselves. We prosper. When we prosper, when they prosper, we prosper. And so I ask you this morning, are you the kind of guy who a godly woman can be with, can trust, and submit to? Husbands, our love for our wives is to extend well beyond bringing home a paycheck. If you're here this morning and you're, you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, the crucial phrase here is found in verse 25, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, in the Bible, we find not a teacher like Buddha or a prophet like Muhammad, but rather we find a savior who offers himself up literally and physically on the cross substituting for all of us who would turn from our sin and trust him. Christ gave himself up for her. Christ died for those whom he would save. He he took our punishment. And so, friend, if you are here today and you want to know that your sins are forgiven, you want to know this kind of love coming at you, then come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. There are dozens of people in this room this morning that would love to talk with you more about that after our time together. We've got a next step area right in the back corner of this room where some friends will be after the gathering this morning where you can talk about that if that's you. And many times, uh, just in life and in ministry, I've had younger husbands come to me frustrated with something about his wife because he wants her to do this and she's not up for it or she doesn't like that. And he's frustrated and may start throwing around words like submission. And he might say something like, why can't I get her to do this? She's standing in my way. Husband, listen to me this morning. Your wife isn't in your way. Your wife is your way. That's who you're called to. That's your calling more certainly than that thing you can imagine, more certainly than that job you should take. Your wife is your care under God. She's not opposing you in the most fundamental sense. She is one of God's most clear ways of communicating with you. 
And so what can you do to bless her, to help her, to enjoy her, to encourage her, to cause her to grow spiritually? That's how you know what the Lord wants you to do. Don't view your wife as competition, men. Let her well-being be a north star that guides you in the decisions you make for your family in service of the Lord. And here's an insight to every husband. Back to, to Genesis 2 in the garden. God gave Adam a helper, a friend, a lover for him in Eve. And she completed Adam beautifully. But deep in the heart of every woman is the uncertainty and the question, am I really the woman he dreamed about and wanted? And will he love me to the end? For a woman to, to give herself completely to a man, men, don't ignore your wife. Don't ignore your wife. A gospel husband understands this deep reality in his wife's heart, and he sees it as his job to tell his wife, you're it. You're the only one for me. I love you. You please me. Let's get after it for Christ. A Christian husband treasures, praises his wife. And in that, that is worship to the Lord. That's why the word love is there in verse 33. Love bring, breathes life into a woman's heart. And when you look back at verse 29, a man nourishes and cherishes his wife. How? As Christ does the church. And so for all of us this morning, Jesus nourishes and cherishes you. If you're a Christian, that's you. He loves you. He delights in you. Why? Verse 30, because we are members of his body. That's one of the most amazing things I've read in a long time. That Jesus sees you as his very flesh. We are members of his body. We're joined to him. If that's the case, and it is, he could not identify with you more personally. He could not stay involved with you more intentionally. He loves, he cherishes, he nourishes you right now. And he loves to, and he's good at it. Husbands, through your sacrificial love, worship the Lord. Husbands, through your sacrificial love, give a picture of Christ to the neighborhoods and to the nations around us. Number three, the grace of God is the ultimate hope for marriage. Everybody inhale with me. <sighs> Exhale. Did you hear that? The grace of God is the ultimate hope for marriage. God created marriage. We saw that. He's Lord over marriage, and it exists primarily for his sake. This is great news, that the God who designed marriage and is Lord over marriage promises to give the grace needed to experience marriage as he designed it. God's grace is available to you this morning. You go, why do we have so many struggles, though, in marriage? 
And if you go to the plethora of books and resources and conferences in 2022, you will see that the problem is communication or personality problems, problems with his past, problems with her past, problems with the future, problems sexually, problems financially. You've got problems everywhere. But there's one problem in every marriage, and that problem is called sin. It's called sin. Every husband, every wife in this room is a sinner. Husbands, careful with the elbows, careful with the elbows. But we know this. We know this, right? But so often we overlook this. True confession here. How many wives in the room leaned over to their husband on the honeymoon and said, I'm a really big sinner. And you're stuck with me forever. Right? When was the last time you went to a wedding and you heard the preacher say, now let's just let's spend a minute, look at the bride and groom, and let's just, let's just spend a minute just reflecting on the sinfulness of this man and this woman for just a moment. Right? We joke. But until we deal with the sinfulness in every single one of us, in every man and every woman's heart, we will simply be putting Band-Aids on broken bones every single time. We don't think about this because the last place we often want to look when it comes to our marriage is in ourselves. But until we come face to face with this reality, we will not move forward toward the solution with this problem. But listen, when we do come face to face with this reality, there's a sin problem in you and in me. We've only got one place to go, and that place is to Christ. The major problem of every marriage is sin, but the major solution of every marriage is a Savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why we need the gospel in our marriage. The gospel is not a prayer that you pray once when you turn to Christ. The gospel is the way for all of life to empower and to enable us to realize that the gospel is our only hope in all of life and in marriage. You see, this morning, the grace of God is our only remedy. Christ is enough for your marriage. Christ is enough for you. Christ is enough for you. Christ is enough for you. See, marriage is rooted in the worship of God. Marriage is rooted in the worship of God. I want you to hear this morning that God intends marriage to take you beyond your wisdom, to take you beyond your strength. He intends to make that to happen. He knows there are times when you'll feel weak and you'll feel incapable of loving. You're sitting here for 35 minutes this morning. I've been sitting with this text for hours all week long. So trust me, I get the incapable weakness. But he knows that there are times when you'll face discouragement. But look at me this morning. In those moments of weakness, you are ready to reach out for the grace of of God that can only be found in him. That's the purpose of marriage. 
That's the purpose of marriage. Some of your greatest worship in marriage, a, a difficult marriage, praying for your spouse, spouse to come to faith, serving when it's really, 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 really hard, some of your greatest worship will be in your greatest weaknesses. But God has joined us together. And he brings us together, not just for our happiness. Yes, there is joy in marriage. But for something profoundly more important than that, more beautiful than that, that this would be a vehicle in his gracious hands of forming us more into the image of his son, Jesus. The beauty of this picture is that Christ promises to give grace upon grace to us. Husbands and wives, if you're here this morning and you do not feel overwhelmed by Ephesians 5, perhaps you have missed the point of our time together this morning. But you see, listen to me, the intent of Ephesians 5 is to drive us to Christ. It's to drive us to Christ. I'm not saying that these last few minutes today is the, the end all be all of marriage. But what I am saying is that in these foundations, in Ephesians 5, these foundations are fundamental. They're, they're huge. And we must focus and we must pray through these and let these truths drive us to Christ. And that's what I want us to do right now. I want us to pray. I'm going to give you just a moment to pray together. Husbands, wives, I want you to pray this morning. And so husbands, feel free, just reach over, grab the hand of your wife where you are and pray together in light of Ephesians 5. If you're, if you're a husband and wife, if your spouse is not here, concentrate on and pray for them. If you are single in this room this morning, pray for Christ to be sufficient in your singleness. If it is God's design to give you a future, future spouse, pray for your future marriage. Children, students, pray for mom, for dad this morning that God would knit them together in a deeper way. I know this. I know that there are hurting marriages in this room. And I know that there are hurts from marriages in the past. But I also want you to know this, that there are people in this church who love you and would love to pray for you and encourage you in any way they can. And so through the next couple of minutes, as music just plays silently, I encourage you to pray. Pray. Pray these truths into your life. Pray these truths into the lives of the people all across this room that we might look to Jesus, that we might look more like Jesus, that we might honor him in all that we do. For the next moment, just take it and pray. I'll close this in just a minute.
Father, we pray. Father, we pray that during this time that you would give us grace. God, give us grace to see you, Jesus, as the example for what it means to be a husband, to see your church as a model for what it means to be a bride, and God, that you would restore the beauty of the gospel in our marriages. God, I pray that your abundant grace would transform and would comfort and encourage and strengthen couples and individuals during this time as we have prayed and as we will continue to pray throughout the day. Lord, we pray for what we're about to sing. That as we say these words together, Christ be magnified, that Lord, you would do that work in our hearts. That, Lord Jesus, you would be magnified in our times gathered, but also in our times scattered. In our times this week in the car, and in our times in our home, and in our marriages. Christ, be magnified. We pray all of this in the good and the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand as we respond through worshiping our Lord and singing.